Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Hey, hey, clones. Welcome to the Daily Jungle. Wednesday in the books, we had ourselves a great hump day. Smack-off season continues to heat up. Another legend, Vic in NoCal, RSVP today. Also, Bowen Nashville made a statement. He came right back at KC in Pensacola after his ridiculous challenger blast yesterday. We also had three great guests. Dodgers sensation Cody Bellinger, who went deep twice last night. Ryan Blaney, the winner of the Pocono 400. And my main guy, Warriors GM Bob Myers, who always brings it and did once again. Alvy, do what you do. Let it rip, Alvy. Let's talk more about the NBA Finals. Now that they're done, where do those two teams go from here? Well, we know what Golden State's going to do. Stan Pat. What they have is working. They're set for the foreseeable future. They've got guys in their prime, under contract. They just have to hope to stay healthy and keep doing what they're doing. In terms of the Cavaliers, big question is, what do they do now? What now for the Cavaliers, and what about LeBron? Now, you wouldn't think that LeBron would bounce once again once his contract is up next season. But then again, who knows? He's already done what he set out to do in Cleveland, and that's bring them a world championship. And he did bounce once before. So he did what he set out to do. He did it in dramatic fashion, but they got hammered this time. So if he's not satisfied with that one ring, and he wants another one, or more than one, and he thinks that they cannot compete with Golden State, where he is right now, maybe he will go someplace else. And if he does, hopefully this time, he doesn't bag it all up and make the announcement on live TV. So if you're the Cavaliers and you want to prevent that from happening, then you make sure you surround surround him with the pieces necessary to compete with Golden State because clearly he does not have that right now. And that's not going to be easy to do. Not given their cap situation and not given the fact that their GM, David Griffin, he's got about a month left on his contract. So if he's not there to put that thing back together, who's going to do it? Who's going to make the tough decisions? And then once you settle on who that person is, what's the plan then? Once again, their salary cap situation is pretty jacked up. So what do they do to put themselves in a position where they can compete with Golden State, where they can make it so LeBron does not want to leave? Well, clearly, seems to me, you have to bust up the big three. The way I see it, they really don't have a choice. And if you bust up the big three, who's the one to go? It's obviously not LeBron, nor should it be Kyrie Irving. He's not the problem, and you'll never get equal value for him anyway. So the guy who's got to go, if you bust up the big three, it's got to be Kevin Love. Not because Love is a problem. He's not. But they can't compete with, much less beat Golden State the way they're currently constructed. And Love has got to be the most expendable asset. The guy most likely to bring the most in return without wrecking that team in the process. They can't waste what's left of LeBron's prime. And they've got to give LeBron a good reason to want to re-up after next season. And the only way to do that is to trade one of the big three. And unfortunately for Kevin Love, I guess, he's probably the guy. Trading Kyrie does not make sense. And you're not going to get anything that matters for J.R. Smith or Tristan Thompson. So Love would be the odd man out. So what do they need to do to put them in position with Golden State? They've got to get a better defense, obviously. Somebody who actually has even a shot of guarding Kevin Durant. Because the only guy right now who fits that description is LeBron himself. And having him work that hard on that end is beating him down and wearing him out. That's why you saw him gas out at the end of games in the finals, which he did not do last year. 
That's because he only had to concern himself with Harrison Barnes last year, not Durant, which is why Golden State brought him in in the first place, to deal with LeBron and the Cavs. So now the Cavs have to deal with Durant. And you can't ask LeBron to deal with him exclusively. Not when Golden State can run four different guys at LeBron. And you're not going to ask Richard Jefferson or Iman Shumpert to deal with Durant because you know how that's going to go. They need to get better defensively. They've got to find somebody with the length and athleticism and ability to slow Kevin Durant down. As far as who that guy is, maybe that guy's Paul George. And given his situation in Indiana, you know he's available. But the gamble there is, even if they can get him, even if they can, he's got one year left on his contract. So there's no guarantee that he would re-up with Cleveland. Especially given all the speculation that he wants to return home here to L.A. to ball with the Lakers. But to me, the question is not whether or not the Cavs can afford to pull the trigger on George. It's whether they can afford not to. They have to convince LeBron to stay. And they need to capitalize on one of his remaining prime years. Because as focused and dedicated as LeBron is, father time is still going to kick his ass the way it does everybody else sooner or later. So what I'm getting at is this. Next year is absolutely critical for the Cavaliers. Pull the trigger. Get this guy the help that he needs. Because there's no guarantee he's going to stay. You never thought he'd leave in the first place. Just like Pat Riley never thought he'd leave Miami. But he did and he could again. We are joined by Bob Myers. Bob, congratulations. Y'all did it again, and it's great to have you back. How are you? Good, Jim. How are you, man? Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Always Bob, love being on the show. Me too. Always look forward to having you on the show, Bob, and thanks for making time for it. I've got to start by asking, as a Bay Area guy, Bob, a guy who still has the ticket stub from his first <laughs> Warriors game back on January 15th, 1982, yeah. What does it mean to win this title at home and then get to share it with the fans tomorrow where one and a half million are expected to show up? Oh, man. I don't even – some things in life, you just kind of – it's hard to take in the moment, Jim. It's, it's, it's too big. I'm not good at – one thing I try to do a better job of is appreciating things as they happen. But things like this, they just they, – they're, they're so emotionally – um, big and hard to get there in your life to accomplish these things that it takes time to kind of appreciate it. And for me and our whole group, our players, uh, coaches, the people that put in the work and the effort um, means a lot. And the great thing about winning, Jim, is, is that it continues to mean a lot. It doesn't, it doesn't stop at the parade. It doesn't stop um, in a week. These are moments just like, you know, we graduate from college, all these moments in our lives. Some of them, most of them go away. Most things in life are fleeting, but some things, some things stay. And this is one of those things where it's, uh, this is, this is great. And to be, be a part of this community. I don't, I think you, <laughs> you know a lot about sports. The Warriors aren't supposed to win. weren't supposed to win any championships. When I was growing up, the bar was kind of, uh, the playoffs, like that was the championship. So to see our fans rewarded at home, I mean, I can't imagine being a kid growing up in this era watching our team because I would have done anything as a fan, forget about working for the team, to watch this to watch this group. I would have really appreciated it. I might have even enjoyed it more in a weird way <laughs> if I wasn't working for the team. So it's, it's pretty cool. Bob Myers joining us. I think I know exactly what you're talking about. For instance, Bob, you always want to be in a spot where you're competing for championships, but when you have a team where seemingly the only acceptable outcome is a championship, what's it then feel like when you get it? That's a good question, man. 
um, what it felt like for me, I, I, I don't cry, you know, I, I, I grew up and I wouldn't, I was, my parents are great and my dad's great, but we didn't, I was a household where the men didn't cry type deal. It wasn't like, you know, nobody went, if it happened, it wasn't a big deal, but it just wasn't how I grew up. And so, you know, some things have happened to me in my life. The woman I married, um, some things that have gone on have taught me like, Tears are, are not weak, right? They're a sign of strength, or, or it's actually even healthy to let stuff out. So when we won, I was with my daughters. I got two little daughters and my wife and her parents sitting there watching it in our arena. Um, and I started to cry. And not, you know, I'm not sobbing, but I'm crying. And I cried because there's so much, you know, for you to get to where you are or you have in your life and your career, you, you only you know what it takes only uh you know and only you know the cost that is born to your wife your kids your family everybody you only know that and so i cried for that like to to feel like you know you, you usually in life you don't get the result you want you don't get the reward you put in a lot of work but you don't get um we don't get the outcome that we strive for most of the time but to actually get it so i i i, I was emotional then and, and then when i went down and hugged Steve, that was the second thing that kind of, you know, I teared up because again, the, the, the journey he's been on is not easy. And, um, to know what he's been through and to see it kind of culminate in the championship, those are the two things that'll stay with me uh, more than confetti and, you know, parades and stuff like that. So that was, that was the important stuff to me. Clones. Great to have you here. Hey, let me take one moment so I can talk to you about Ferguson. Ferguson helps facilities pros by supplying innovative and reliable products, but what Ferguson really offers are solutions. Ferguson has a dedicated team of facilities experts, and with nationwide coverage, we deliver directly to your facility right when you need them. Plus, Ferguson's broad inventory of maintenance, repair, and operations products, along with plumbing, HVAC, and appliances, sets Ferguson apart from traditional facility suppliers. So learn more about how Ferguson Facility Supply can help your facility at ferguson.com today. That's Ferguson. Now right back to our Daily Jungle. Bob Myers joining us. You know, Bob, I was going to ask you about that embrace. I mean, when you and I spoke back in April, Steve had stepped aside during the Portland series to take care of his back, and Mike Brown did an amazing job in stepping up for him. But at that time, you said that you were confident that Steve was going to get back into coaching, but you weren't sure when. So maybe can you elaborate on that moment? What was that moment like when the two of you, as close as you are and what you've gone through together, what you've all gone through, what was it like to have that embrace after you won that title? Oh man, Jim, I don't know. It was um it's one of those moments, right? I mean, in life where it's uh you build relationships with people. Um you build them mostly through adversity. Most of the relationships we build are not born out of success. Um success we all get along, you know. When you have these good things happen in your life, it's amazing how many people want to congratulate you, but when things are dark, um, and maybe things aren't as good. Is not the room isn't as crowded, um, which is fine. You find out who's real and who's there. And and you know Steve and I have had so many conversations um, over the last I don't know since he was our coach, and some that are really good, and some that have been really hard. Uh, but that's how you get to know somebody. So uh, to see him, you know not be able to coach last season, not be able to coach these playoffs for, for however many games Mike Brown coached, and then to see Steve come back, 
um, that's the reward, right? It's not, again, like I said, I mean, those are the moments where, like anything you do with a group of people, you get to share it. You get to share the, the things that are hard. You get to share the success. So that was a moment where, you know, only two people know, um, him and me, about what, what's, what, what our conversations have been like. Um, so it's very private. We, I'm talking about it with you right now. But it does, I could never convey everything about it. Um, sort of so happy for the guy. And, um, you know, he's, it's been documented, but, but, but whatever's been said or written, it's, it's even been harder than I think most people know. Bob Myers joining us. You know, Bob, much of the group has been through this, and this is the second win, but for some of the group, it's the first. So when you look at what, for instance, Kevin Durant's gone through over the course of the past year, it has been challenging. Now, you'll be the first one to say that there are plenty of other people who go through much bigger challenges than what Durant faced over the past season, but when you see him win his first title, or even when you see David West win his first title, what was that like for you? That was the best part. I mean, you know, I think... We learn as little kids, you know, it's better to give than receive. You don't really quite figure that out at Christmas until you're a little older, but we eventually figure that out. The best feelings I think I have, and hopefully you and everybody else listening, it's when you do something for somebody. And I didn't, I didn't, I'm not saying that I did anything, for, they did it for themselves, but to see guys that have, you know, they've, they've, they're character guys, uh, both, both talented and Kevin, like, like you said, when you asked, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot harder things than life than what he went through with switching teams. But but he's a human being. Most people, you know, don't when you're in the limelight like a professional athlete or whatever the word superstar is, you get all the credit. But if you if you put yourself out there, you can you can get a lot of blame too. And I mean, you you've been on both, Jim. You know, I mean, people know who you are. You've had times where everybody loved you, and times where people, you know, cr- would be critical of you. Um, and, you know, as much as we want to say it doesn't affect us, we're all human beings. I mean, you know, people say stuff about you. You, you feel it. You hear it. We're not meant to shut people out. So for Kevin to, you know, make the decision he made in light of what he knew would be coming and to trust himself and say, I just, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if I'm going to win or, or lose, but this is a path that feels right to me. And then to see it happen for him in the way it did, um, in an MVP of the finals where he left no doubt. He didn't just come along on a team that was going to win a championship. He came to a team that he, you know, proved needed him to win a championship. Um, and we're thrilled to have him and embrace him. And, and, and everything Kevin's getting now, he deserves. And the, and the best thing about him, Jim, and I'm, I don't know if you've had him on a lot or got to know him, I love people that just love what they do. Um, Kevin just loves playing basketball. That's it. Sounds simple, but that's it. Um, he just wants to play basketball. He didn't sign up for a life. He did, a lot of people play in the NBA, and they'll tell you, I just like the life. I want the money, and I want the fame. He would play basketball if, if they paid him $5 a game and nobody ever saw it on TV. He would play basketball. So that's my favorite thing about Kevin. And then see him actually rewarded um, is, is pretty incredible. And then David, he just walked by him at the facility. After the game, uh, Jim, he couldn't. He literally couldn't. He was. I walked back in the training room, and he was leaning up again. And there was nobody in there. And he's he's sitting down on the ground, huddled up, with his back against the wall. Couldn't couldn't breathe. Like literally couldn't breathe. And I kind of kneeled down next to him and I said, David, I said it's better. It's better than you thought it would be, isn't it? And he, and he said, It is, man. He said it, it is. And 
he said, I just can't believe it. And, and he was he was literally overwhelmed with emotion um, in a very powerful way. This is this is a this is a really deep individual who who, um, you know, his his well runs deep. This is not a superficial guy. So to see him kind of, you know, driven to the floor with emotion was pretty incredible. And I just told him, look, you you've earned this, David. Um, your path has been long, it's been hard. You've seen it all, but you you enjoy this because you've earned it. So that's what makes it great. To answer your question, it's those stories of guys that hadn't been there that I didn't, you know, that, that I did a small part to help offer them that opportunity. My, myself, our front office, our coaches, and that's what's fulfilling. Um, to, to, to the bonds you create in winning a championship are forever. That's what makes it so special. You know, I'll run into David West 30 years from now, and you'll look in his eye, and, and you don't even need to say anything. Um, that's what makes sports and championships so great, is that it never ends. The connections you build with championships teams, they last forever. Bob Myers, president of basketball operations and general manager for the Golden State Warriors. He was the 2014-2015 NBA executive of the year. Got a feeling another one of those is coming down the line pretty quickly. And Bob, you make this so easy. I mean, it's such a fascinating conversation. I could just sit here and listen to this for another hour. <laughs> Unfortunately, my man, we are out of time already. But All I want right. to congratulate yeah. you and say it's so good to get caught up. And it's an amazing conversation every single time, Bob. I have such great appreciation and respect for you and this relationship that we have that you always come on the show, Bob, sincerely. Hey, Jim, anytime, man. Anytime. I love, uh, love talking to you. Love what you're about. And, I, you know, I'm going to keep asking you until you come. I mean, we keep talking about San Quentin. Um, we don't really have a true relationship till we're in behind maximum security, you know, gates together. Then we can really form a bond, you yeah, know, when we get you behind those walls. Yeah, Bob, you're right, because there's no way I can win a championship with you. We won't have that bond that you have with those guys. But if I go behind those walls with you, that is something we will talk about in 30 years, right? Oh, man, for sure. Absolutely. You know, that's a... That's another one. That's one that you don't like. We we're looking for things in life, Jim, that last. You know, most of our days pass and they're not memorable. Let's let's do some things that are memorable. Yeah, that's not. We'll fleeting. make it happen. That one is not fleeting. We'll make that happen, yeah. Bob. Congratulations, yeah. Yeah, you're the no best. I really appreciate you, man. Thank you so much, Bob. All right, Jim. Take care, man. Victor in NoCal. Vic, what's going on? Hello, Jimmy Rome. Hello, Victor. Hey, man. I I gotta disagree with you here really quick. You know you. You just said we're not giving the Warriors enough respect, that we're not giving Durant enough respect. I think it's the opposite of that. We all know the Warriors are great. We all know Durant is great. That's why it feels just a little bit cheap that the two of them joined up together, you know? I mean, couldn't he have gone with, like, the Clippers or the Blazers or some other team that hadn't just gone 73-9 and and hadn't just eliminated his team in Game 7 of the Conference Finals? Hey, Rome, remember when Isaiah Thomas and the Pistons beat the Bulls in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals, and then Michael Jordan left Chicago to go play for them? And remember when Daniel LaRusso joined the Cobra Kai Dojo, and together they dominated the All-Valley Karate Championships for years and years? And remember when Herb Brooks took a job as an assistant coach on the Soviet hockey team in 1980, and he helped them crush everybody on their way to a gold medal? Yeah, me neither, because... That's what made those guys legends, man. That's what we love about sports. It's facing the odds and overcoming. That's why we don't root for the alien xenomorph. We root for Ripley and the power loader. And I remember Dirk Nowitzki getting into that power loader with a bunch of guys named Jason Terry and Tyson Chandler and J.J. Barrera, whoever that is. 
he got into that power loader, and he looked the Miami Heatles alien xenomorph right in the face and said to it, get away from that O'Brien trophy, you bitch. And he cemented his place as a legend, okay? Nobody cares that that Dallas team washed out right after that and was just a one-year wonder. Nobody cares about all the bad playoff losses they had before that, okay? But anyway, Rome, what kind of crazy world are we living in now when the Golden State Warriors have become an all-time juggernaut? See, I know the Warriors well, okay? There's a reason my name is Vic and no Cal. I used to go watch them back when they were horrible, and boy, were they bad for a long, long time. I mean, I used to go to their games when their starting lineup had guys like Bobby Sura and Adonal Foyle. Bob Sura, Rome. I remember this one time we were at the game, and if the Warriors scored 100 points, we were all going to get a free chalupa from Taco Bell. Well, the Warriors were stuck at 99 points. They already had the game won, but one of their guys gets fouled with like one second left. He goes up to take his free throws, and he misses them both. Time runs out, and we all go home without our free chalupa. We booed their asses off the court. That's how bad these guys were. And, and now they're ripping titles off and, and breaking all kinds of records. What an unbelievable turnaround. I've got to give them credit for that. I mean, what's next? Are the Cleveland Browns going to start piling up Lombardi trophies now? That's it for me, Rome. Uh, let me get out of here so that Caleb has enough time to come in here with his take on Amy Fisher and Joey Buttafuoco. We all need to know what the latest is with that story. I'm out. Cody Bellinger. So you're coming off that game where you had the two home runs. The team's won five straight. You're tied for first in the division. How good do things feel right now? Yeah, we're playing well. Uh, you know, we're, we're clicking on all cylinders. Our pitching's been great, and our offense has been great, and we're just uh, we're trying to keep it going. Cody Bellinger joining us. I'll say, I mentioned off the top that you've only played 45 games this year, but you've already got quite a list of accomplishments. That said, Cody, I think I'd argue that homering off Andrew Miller, who's one of the nastiest pitchers in baseball, is right near the top of the list. You're the first guy to take him deep this year. So what kind of preparation did you do before facing him? And then what was that at bat like? Uh, yeah, before the game, we obviously have hitters meetings, um, and we had extra preference on him knowing that we would face him probably every game, um, knowing he's one of the nastiest guys. So we just watched extra film on him, trying to pick up extra keys. And, you know, for me, he just uh, he had a bad pitch, hung me a slider, and I just tried to get the barrel to it. And, uh, yeah, luckily it barely got out of here. Hang him and bang him, I guess, right? So let me ask you, are, <laughs> are you looking to do something in particular against a guy that filthy, or are you just looking to get the bat on the ball? Yeah, you hear it all the time. A guy like Miller, um, I was honestly, you know, I was leading up the inning, uh, tie game. I honestly just want to put the barrel on the ball and make the defense work. Um, and like I said, I just, uh, he hung me once. So I tried to get the barrel to it and it backspun out of there. LA Dodger, Cody Bellinger joining us. You know, your manager, Dave Roberts, said after the game, and this is a quote now from your manager, he's not intimidated by handedness, velocity, or anything. <laughs> Every single time he gets in the box, it seems like, I feel like he's going to get a hit. End of quote. Hitting major league pitching is the most difficult thing to do in sports, but you're really making it look pretty easy right now. How do you explain that? And then what's your approach overall when it comes to hitting? Uh, yeah, well, for, uh, I never say it's easy. You know, once you once you think you have it, you're going 0 for 8 with, you know, 7 strikeouts. Um, so it's just, uh, it's just a work in progress every day. And, you know, for me, my approach is, you know, I don't try to hit home runs every time. I just try to hit the ball hard and do damage. Um, I swing so hard and, you know, sometimes it's my enemy. Um, but, yeah, you know, whenever I see the ball, I just try to hit it hard, and that's what I think. Try to keep it simple. Cody, I would imagine you're going to downplay what I'm about to say to you, but this is an amazing thing also. According to ESPN, the top three all-time leaders in isolated slugging percentage, or isolated slugging, which is slugging percentage minus batting average, 
with a minimum of 150 plate appearances are Mark McGuire, number three, Babe Ruth at number two, and you're sitting at number one. Now, I know you'll shake that off and just point out that it's only 45 games, but what's it like hearing a list that includes McGuire, Ruth, and your name is on top of that list? Oh, uh, yeah, it's definitely crazy. Um, but you said it, 45 games. Uh, for me, you know, I just try and go in the cage every single day, and, you know, I stick with my routine, uh, and I try and stay consistent with my load and my swing, and, you know, hopefully that can uh, take care of things throughout the long season. Cody Bellinger joining us. Now, when you were called up in April, you come to a situation where you're in the same clubhouse as guys like Clayton Kershaw, Chase Utley, Adrian Gonzalez. These are some very established veterans, of course. It could be a pretty intimidating place. So what was it like <clears> the first time you went into that clubhouse for a major league game? And then what's it been like spending time with guys like that? Yeah, honestly, it's crazy. I think what helped me was uh, I was in bigger camp with them all year, um, a little bit last year with them. And so you kind of get to know them a little bit to you. So when I got called up this year, uh, it was. I felt a little comfortable, and the the guys have been awesome to me. They they treated me like I was on the team for a lot of years, and uh, you know, I started with Dave Roberts. It's easy to play for him as a young guy. Um, there's a lot of communication that goes on, and it just helps. You know, helps me succeed and helps me be comfortable out there. All right. So when you finally get there, I mean, does it all feel pretty normal? Like this is what you've been working towards, or there's still part of you where it feels pretty surreal. I think before and after the game, sometimes it kind of feels surreal. Uh, but once seven o'clock hits, you're between the lines. It's, you know, I don't really feel any different. Um, you know, it's cool. There's a lot of people watching. I think that's the only thing that feels a little different to me. Um, yes, yeah, you know, it's, just, it's the same game that I've been playing for however many years, and I try to keep it simple. Well, you were on a big stage pretty early on. You were part of that Chandler, Arizona Little League team that went to the Little League World Series. What do, we me- what do you remember about that, and what was that experience like? Yeah, that was unbelievable. Uh, I remember our first game. I was 11 years old, and I was playing center, and I, I looked behind me, and there's probably 25,000 people watching. Um, and you're wondering why they're all watching 11- and 12-year-olds play. But, no, it's a, it's an awesome experience. Uh, first time on ESPN. And you know, that's what really made me, I think, want to play baseball. So I kind of you know, credit, credit it to that a little bit. Hey, Cody, you, if I'm not mistaken, of course, you played for my guy Ryan Garko. Ryan Garko is a huge jungle oh, guy. Yeah. He's come on this program. I love Gark. What was it like to play for him in Tulsa? He's awesome, man. He's an awesome dude, awesome manager, knows the game. Uh, really smart guy. Obviously, he's a, he's a Stanford guy, and yeah, great manager. Um, like I said, with him, with Doc, there's a lot of communication that goes on, and you know what you need to work on or what you need to get better at, he he definitely tell you, and uh, he's a big supporter. He's a really smart guy. I'm glad to hear you talk about him like that. Cody Bellinger joining us. Now, your father, Clay, was a major league infielder, so what was it like growing up as the son of a major leaguer and to get to hang out in the Yankee clubhouse the way you did? Yeah, special. Uh, I've said it before. I was young. I wish I remembered more. Um, you know, looking back, I look at the guys' names that were in the clubhouse, and it's pretty spectacular, starting with Jeter and Rivera and Pettit. And, um, so I remember, you know, I remember the World Series games. I remember going on the parades. Um, but, you know, the little stuff I wish I remember remembered a little more. Right, I'm glad you mentioned the World Series because now your dad had 12 home runs. In his career, you've already blown right past that mark, but he said it's one thing for you to pass him in the home run department, quite another to do it in the World Series ring <laughs> department where he's got three. What was it like when you passed him in home runs, and what do you make of the ring collection that Pops has? Uh, yeah, he, uh, he was the first one to text me congrats after. Um, yeah, that World Series, he got three, and that's hard to beat. Um, you know, I think that's every kid's dream or every player's dream in the biggies to get World Series rings. And, you know, he was, uh, he was on a great team. He was blessed to get three. 
Hey, Cody, one more great thing about your uh, background. Logan White, the Dodgers' former VP, saw you playing in Arizona. And because you were on the same team as his son, he says he kept an eye on you throughout high school. And then when the draft came around, the Dodgers took you in the fourth round. So what was it like to be drafted? Awesome. Yeah, my little brother just got drafted by the Padres I know right it. now. I'm going to ask you about that, too. Uh, by Logan White, too. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy time in my life. I remember getting a call in the third round saying that we're going to pick you next round. It was probably like 30 or 40 minutes that went by. And, you know, it was the longest minutes of my life just waiting to hear your name called. Um, but yeah, crazy experience, and, you know, for him. You know, he always had faith in me, so i got to give it a lot to him. So, something you'll never forget. Then how did it feel when you saw your little brother get drafted? Yeah, um, I was uh, I was watching online or whatever it was, hearing the name, and they said, Padres, take, you know, Cole. And, and I, gave him, uh, I texted him right away, and it's a pretty cool moment for my family. Amazing moment for your family. So final thought, you know, at the time, you weren't known for your power, but as White said, you had this beautiful swing. Since then, you've made some changes to your swing, and the power's come along. So what kind of changes <clears throat> did you make to your swing? Yeah. I always had the power in BP, but I didn't know how to use it in a game. Um, so for me, it was my year in Rancho 2015. I made some tweaks in my swing. I raised my hands. I created a little hitch um, to pull my barrel to the pitcher just to create a backspin, and that's just been a whirlwind of a difference. And for me, it's just, you know, keeping that load, and I'm trying to stay consistent with it, and, uh, and that's what I've just been focusing on. Bowen, Nashville. What's going on, Rome, man? What's up? What's up? That was a perfect segue, man. You're going to get an assist for this one right here, partner. But look, I was marinating all day about this yesterday, man. And dude, KC from Pensacola, ain't nothing cool about speaking upon tragic events, playboy. That's bad business. I don't know who's worse, you or Laval Ball, speaking upon Kyrie Irving's mom not being around and wasn't there. Man, the dude, mom's passed away. You speaking upon dudes family and his mom passing away like that's cool that's bad business but anyway back to you KC I know my man Rome don't advocate violence but you know if I saw you somewhere I'd smack you with one of these Smashville catfish right in your face but better than yet by me working for AT&T and you being in Pensacola if I knew your exact residence address I'd cut your damn cable off partner you don't get no player points for nothing like that bad business playboy Rome, keep it pimping, homie. I'm out. Ryan Blaney is my guest. All right, so take me through the final laps on Sunday. You passed Kyle Busch out of a restart, then you held off Kevin Harvick at the end. That's the 2015 series champion and the 2014 champion that you were battling with. So what was going through your mind at that time? Yeah, you know, when we got by Kyle there, uh, we had Harvick uh, run us down, and he was a little bit faster than us. And uh, Really what's going through your mind is just not messing up, not making a mistake, and uh, do what you've been doing all day, pretty much, and, and just try to hit your marks, and try not to look out the rearview mirror, even though you you do. Um, but you know, just try not to get him uh, able to get a run on you and, and pass you. So that that was the thing that you're thinking the most. And like I said, just trying to drive like you have been all day and, and be smooth. You know, the other challenge is though, with roughly 40 laps to go, your radio fails, so you were not able to communicate with your crew chief. I mean, what was that like? And were you able to do any kind of communicating at all? Yeah, that was uh, that happened pretty early in the race where uh, my radio went out to where I could hear my team, uh, but they couldn't hear me. Uh, so the plan that we made up was, I used to do this back in the day before they didn't have radios, is we made a plan of putting my hand on the door on, out the left side window if I'm, if I'm tight, if the car's not turning, or I put my hand on the roof uh, if I was too loose, uh, if the back was sliding out. So that's kind of how they would judge 
of what to change on the race car. And that's really the only kind of communication that we had uh, that they knew what I was trying to explain to them. Uh, it was nice that I could hear them. That was uh, that was pretty lucky. That was the only good thing that came out of that deal. But that was uh, definitely very old school of us. That has never happened to me before. But luckily, we were able to you know, figure out the problem and uh, come up with a solution for it. Ryan Blaine joining us. I mean, Ryan, that sounds like maybe not for you, but for the rest of us, that would be kind of a challenging thing. If you're going that speed and you got all those things going on around you and you've got one hand out the window and you're trying to maintain control of that car with the other hand, is that harder than it sounds? That does not sound like an easy thing to do. Yeah, well, you know, the straightaways at, at Pocono down the front stretch is so long, uh, and it's easy to take your hand off the wheel going straight. But, you know, obviously we have two on them in the corners, but uh, no, that part where they could see us, I'd have my hand out the window. So it wasn't really too big of a deal. All right, so in that sense also, you get it's one thing to get your first win the way you did, but it's another to get that first win on a track where your father raced and one that's relatively close to your home state of Ohio. So what did it mean to get that first win on that particular track? Yeah, it definitely meant a lot. Uh, my dad grew up and, and lived most of his life in Ohio, right next to the Ohio-Pennsylvania border. Uh, and Pocono was always a really close racetrack for us uh, and for my family. And uh, it's, we always go to that racetrack, and I had none of my family out there this weekend, which that, that just figures. But um, it means a lot. I remember going to that, that place and watching my dad race there uh, a lot as a kid. And that place is really special to me just because it was close to home. And, uh, you know, to do that and, and um, you know, you always, I don't really count it as a home track. Maybe my, my dad's side of my family's home track. So that was kind of neat to, to do. I call it a second home for us. But uh, I wish I could have had some family out there. But never know. Maybe when we get our next one, they'll all be out. Yeah, that would have been nice. Ryan Blaney joining us. Now, you've been identified as one of the faces of the future of that sport. Now that you've won, you join Austin Dillon and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. as three first-time winners this year. Does it feel like something special is happening in NASCAR when it comes to new faces emerging? I think so. You know, you just said it. Uh, there's three new-time winners this year, and uh, we're all fairly young. And I feel like that's a, a pretty cool point in NASCAR right now where a lot of people are getting their first-time wins. Uh, we're all young guys, and, and it's a good group of veterans who have been around the sport for a long time uh, and a good group of young drivers coming up through the ranks not only in the cup series but in the xfinity and trucks there's a lot of great talent coming up and it's just nice to be part of the group to be honest with you uh, and be with such a great team like the wood brothers is, is pretty special for me but it's a really great time right now uh, in nascar with you know the new series sponsor uh, monster energy and, and a lot of young drivers being successful uh, and some new fans are coming out it uh, it's really neat and, and it's a pretty pretty great time now, you're young, but after the win, you took an old-school approach of not doing a celebratory burnout. Not doing a burnout is now one of your signature moves. So what was the thinking behind that? Well, uh, you know, this year I kind of wanted to do that just because I uh, that's how they used to do it. You know, they, you know, 30 years ago, they used to not do big, smoky burnouts. And now, when you do burnouts, not many people realize that, you know, one, you, you always <laughs> blow your tires out, and it just destroys your race car, and... Uh, you blow engines up half the time, and uh, I just thought it was fitting for the Wood Brothers as well to to not do that, you know, because they're the oldest team in NASCAR, and uh, you know they're all about tradition. And I thought that was a pretty traditional thing to do, uh, so that was pretty much my mind my mindset based on that. I, I think doing that is way cooler than a big big smoky burnout, in my opinion. Ryan Blaney joining us. Now you mentioned your family. Your grandfather Lou was a sprint car and dirt modified champion. Your father Dave was a sprint car driver and World of Outlaws champion who made his full-time Cup Series debut at the age of 37. He ended up running nearly 500 Cup races. What was it like then growing up as the son of a professional driver? 
Well, it was really just all I knew. Uh, I didn't know anything outside of racing very much. Uh, I was always at the I was at the racetrack with my father, whether it was NASCAR or the dirt track. Um, that's really all our family was about. And I feel like if you have a family in sports, that's kind of your life. You know, the same with basketball or football or baseball. It's just your life, and it's all you know just because you're uh, one of your parents do it, and it's just what you watch, and uh, everything revolves around it. So, uh, me, the coolest part about that whole deal was, or still is, that I see people, whether they're drivers or crew members, uh, when I was really young, uh, back in the day, working on cars or driving them, and now they're still in the garage area, whether it's driving or, or working on cars. That just shows you the commitment they have uh, to the sport of NASCAR uh, and the longevity that these careers can go. Uh, it's pretty special. So it was just a uh, a nice time to grow up, watch my dad race NASCAR, and that's all I wanted to do was to race on Sundays, and, and luckily we've gotten some great opportunities to make that happen. And then, of course, all those people that's in the garage, I'm sure, are quick to tell you we knew you when. We knew you way back when. Last thought. Oh, is, yeah. As many people know, now, Ryan, you are also a big Star Wars fan. How did you first get bitten by the Star Wars bug? Uh, I don't know. You know, none of my family is a huge, uh, huge fan of that stuff, and the first one came out. I'm talking about episode one. It, it came out in 99. So I was I was six or seven at the time. And, you know, at that age, your mind is kind of developing and, and you're, you know, you're kind of run off wild and you're figuring out things that you like. And uh, I saw that movie in theaters and I just thought it was really cool. So that's how I kind of just jumped on that train and uh, something I've kept enjoying as a 23-year-old. And um, it's pretty neat. I, I enjoy that stuff. And it's been nice to find something like that. I said, you're always trying to track down Star Wars t-shirts. At one point, you were in the Concord Mills Mall near Charlotte. You're passing the Disney store. You thought you might stop and see if they had any Star Wars stuff. What's it like to roll in there as an adult looking for shirts your size? How did that go for you? <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it didn't go well. It didn't go well. I, um, so the Disney store and malls, I guess, are just for like the max age limit of like eight. <laughs> right. And, um, they, I was like, ah, I'm going to go see if they have any new Star Wars gear. Or, uh, the new Cars 3 movie was coming out, and I, I have a small role in it. So I was like, maybe they have a car shirt in here that I can go buy. And uh, No, they were all like, you know, very, very small for me. So that was a little awkward. I was in sweatpants and uh, looking like a bum. And walking <laughs> in this kid's store was uh, definitely probably not the right look. But oh, well. Eric, good to have you on the show. How are you? It's the Rome. What's happening, partner? What's up, partner? Was handy. Just crushed a car nap, and I'm feeling fantastic. Wasn't a believer in car nap nation until I heard Silk the Third rip a bong from outer space with that turd of a call. It's not him. It's that golden ticket ripper in Canada putting me to sleep. All I have to do is pull over and play either one of those calls, and I'm out. It's not these callers putting us to sleep, Mr. Rome. It's these guys getting run. Those calls last week were shorter than Chael Sonnen's comeback career. Hey, Chael, you want to hang out with half-naked dudes that bad? Isn't getting choked out by Tito a little bit tougher than your typical Friday night where you steal singles out of your wife's purse, head to a script club in Hollywood, and pay dudes to reenact the Toby and Hugh? That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Never happened. That's the problem with the smack-off. That $5,000 cash prize brings out people like that. It really does. There's no way that guy's making the call otherwise. Parody Larry. Obviously, Lawrence, I'm in a good mood. What's going on? How are you? There is a big D-bag who plays for the Cavs. He flops and he whines and he moans and he bitches. 
The Warriors just sent him home with some stitches. Ah! Sorry, no. I have a guest. There's another one in the books. Thank you very much for listening. Subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review, trust the podcast, and check back tomorrow for more of the same. See you then.